At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Habits, Ancient Practices for Today's World, where we'll learn to reject culture's endless stream of quick fixes for God's time-tested truth. Together, we'll rediscover age-old practices that draw us to Him, where true satisfaction awaits. Good morning, church. What an honor it is for me to be here this morning with you to open God's Word with you. Happy Fourth of July, and what a wonderful day to celebrate the freedom that we have in this country and uh, wonderful, wonderful shirts that we have going on. We have another wonderful USA shirt back there as well. Some of you are definitely dressed in the holiday spirit. Some of you forgot what day today was. <clears throat> if the, uh, the explosion's happening all night over the last couple of nights, I didn't tell you. Well, anyway, to happy Fourth of July. Miwa Sado worked at the Japanese National Broadcasting Service, NHK, and she'd been serving there as a journalist uh, ever since she graduated from college. But she routinely spent all of her time working. In fact, she would log 80 to 110 hours a week, consistently. And then in July of 2013, after logging 159 hours of overtime, just in half of a month, she was found dead at her desk. Reason for her death? Heart failure. She was 31 years old. The business office, the labor business office of Tokyo did an autopsy of her body and of her life and came to the conclusion, in fact, they coined a new word in Japanese. It's called karoshi. It's going to be on the screen for you. It's called karoshi. It's a new word they had to invent. It means in Japanese, death by overwork. Death by overwork. I know what you're saying. That, that doesn't happen to Americans. I mean, we, we know what, how it feels to take a break, right? Well, maybe. <laughs> well, just maybe. We love to work. Work is part of the American ethic. It's what defines us as a people. For the last 200 plus years, we as Americans have worked and we have worked and we have striven to gain, to accomplish, to excel, to exceed. And the, and the fruits of our labor are obvious. We have accomplished a lot in the young number of years that we have been a nation. We have done a lot. And yet the question is, why do we work so much? Why do we think that we have to strive so much? Just in case you think that we don't work as much as the Japanese, let me read you one statistic. In a recent survey, this is pre-COVID numbers now, um, nearly 86% of all males and 67% of all females in American workforces work more than 40 hours per week, even during our vacations even during our vacations. So let me ask you, just a survey, just a quick survey. How many of you are working more hours now after COVID than you were before? This is church, you have to be honest. <laughs> There's quite a number of you. Some of you are like, maybe a little. I have to be honest, you know, confession time that I work more hours sitting at my home in front of my computer screen than I did when I went to the office. At least there I knew how to turn it off and come home. <laughs> Especially when my wife called. Now she calls and I'm still sitting at my desk. Why? Because there's more work to be done. 
And it's hard to take a break when there's more things to be done because there's always a laundry list of things to be done. Why do we work so hard? Well, we want to live comfortably. We want to put our kids through college. We want to have enough to, uh, to, to bank on when we retire. So, so we work. So we work to live well. We're in a sermon series that starts today, three-week sermon series called Habits, Ancient Practices for Today's World. And we hope to present to you several spiritual disciplines, or in other words, spiritual habits, that is as good for us today as it was for the ancient church. In fact, necessary for us today. And today we are going to look at the Sabbath. What does it look like to Sabbath rest? In fact, Sabbath is a, is a countercultural invitation by God for you and me to rest in Him, to do something against the grain, against the culture, a culture that is steeped in a workaholic mentality. In a world where everyone is working and working and working, and when the week, weekend finally comes, we collapse, Jesus, through His Word, is going to give us a different way to perhaps look at how we are to work and how we are to rest. We work so that we can rest, <coughs> but the Word of God says that we work from a place of rest. And those are two vitally different ways to look at how we live life. The word Sabbath literally means to stop, to cease, to desist. In fact, the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible defines Sabbath this way. It says, the Sabbath is a day when all ordinary work stopped. God gave His people the Sabbath as an opportunity to serve Him and as a reminder of two great truths in the Bible, creation and redemption. In fact, the first time we ever see the word Sabbath, or at least that idea, is in Genesis chapter 2, right after God had finished creating the world and creating everything in it and creating man, we find in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2, these words, he said, the Bible says, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Or in a literal sense, God Sabbathed. He stopped. He rested. In fact, Sabbath was so important to God, not only did He rest on the seventh day, but He codified the Sabbath for the people of Israel as part of the Ten Commandments. When we come to Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 8, God says as part of the Ten Commandments, commandment number 4, He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and, and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant. For, or your livestock for the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So the Sabbath was an important part of Israel's life. It was part of their law that God had given to them. And yet we as New Testament believers, we in the 21st century, we wrestle with this idea of Sabbath. Should we as believers in Jesus follow a Sabbath rest? We don't follow any other Old Testament law. Should we follow this one? Or perhaps our questions are more along the lines of, well, how do we Sabbath rest? 
Well, hopefully as we go through this message, I hope to answer some of those questions for you. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 6, where we're going to see a, a, a couple of stories, two stories in fact, about this idea of Sabbath rest. In fact, it's a confrontation between Jesus and some Pharisees. Jesus, in, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 6, Jesus had kind of suddenly appeared on the Judean scene, and he had quickly, his popularity had quickly grown, and, and he had received the, 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 the interest and the, and the respect of the people because of his anointed and, and very authoritative teaching, as well as his dramatic healing ministry. And so people were flocking to listen to him. And of course, that created a buzz around Jesus that the Pharisees grew interested in. And the Pharisees started to come around him, these religious rulers, these keepers of the law, these people who essentially were the spiritual police of the nation, started to watch and to listen to Jesus to see if there was anything going on that was not appropriate. And so here in chapter 6, in the first 11 verses, we have two stories where we have an intense confrontation between Jesus and these Pharisees. And as we look at these two stories, we're going to find that there are two reasons that Sabbath-keeping still remains a vital part of our Christian life. Two reasons why we should still keep the Sabbath. And the first is that Sabbath is for the worship of God. Sabbath is for the worship of God. Let me read for you Luke chapter 6, starting in verse number 1. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, <clears throat> his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? So let me stop there for a moment and just, just explain. Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field, and as they are walking through the grain field, they're plucking heads of grain and eating them. And you'll think, but wait, wait, isn't that illegal? Isn't that stealing? The answer is no, it's not. In this culture or in this time period, there wasn't a McDonald's or a Burger King at every corner, right? There wasn't a fast food joint that you could just run to 24 hours a day. And so God had established in Deuteronomy 28 uh, a pattern where if, you are a, if you're on a journey and you're going through a field and you're hungry, you're allowed to pick whatever grain or fruit is in that field and eat it on your journey. And so this isn't a violation of any law. This is allowed. This is something that God allowed in his law. And so what we're going to see here is as the Pharisees ask the question is that it's not about what the disciples did that was wrong, but when they did it that was wrong. Because what is the day that they're eating this? It is the Sabbath day. And as far as the Pharisees were concerned, this was eating, this was work, and therefore this work was a violation of the rules. So in order to understand that a little bit more, we need to backtrack just a little bit. You remember the Israelites were exiled to Babylon, right? You remember that, right? And then, and then after 70 years, God returned them back to the land. And so when the exiles returned, they made it a point to really understand all of the laws that they had broken, to understand all of the reasons that God had exiled them from the promised land. And so what they did was they started to wrap around God's laws all of these other stipulations, all of these regulations around God's law to make sure that people didn't violate the law. So if the law said don't work on the Sabbath, they put up a fence post that was a mile long and a mile wide that said, don't get anywhere near 
the center. In fact, the, the rabbinic uh, halakha, uh, halakha, I'm going to pronounce that wrong, halakha, or however you're going to pronounce that, produces 39 categories, 39 categories of things that were prohibited on the Sabbath. There's a list for you on the screen, 39 categories, and every one of these categories has within them hundreds of things you cannot do. For example, you cannot walk more than 3,000 steps on a Sabbath. You can drag a chair on the Sabbath, but if in the process of dragging the chair, you create a furrow in the dirt, now you are plowing, and plowing is forbidden on the Sabbath. Do you understand? There are rules on top of rules on top of rules, and there are 39 categories, and as far as the Pharisees was concerned, the disciples were breaking many of these rules. You see, by plucking the heads of grain, they were harvesting. By rubbing the grain together, they were threshing. By blowing the chaff to leave the fruit behind or the grain behind, they were winnowing. All of this was wrong as far as the Pharisees were concerned. And so they asked Jesus, why is it you're doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And so Jesus responds to their question typically with another question. And so notice what he says in verse number three, and Jesus answered them. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus in his in this process of answering the question, asks a question, in fact, takes them back to a story that happens in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And in 1 Samuel chapter 21, we find David. At this point in the story, David is not yet king. He'd been anointed, but not yet made king. But he and his men are on the run for their life because Saul, who is the present king, wants to kill David. And so David and his men are on the run. They arrive at a city called Nob, where the tabernacle and the priest of God are. And they come to the tabernacle, and they're hungry. They're famished. They haven't had anything to eat in a day or two. And so they come to the priest and say, we're hungry. What do you have to eat? And the only thing available at the tabernacle, as the story goes, is the bread of the presence. If you don't know what that is, on, on a golden table, they would put two, 12 loaves of bread that would sit in the holy place before the presence of God. That's why it's called the bread of the presence. And every Sabbath day, they would take the, old, the 12 old loaves out and put the 12 new loaves in its place. And so the only thing available that the priest could give them are these 12 old loaves. The problem is these loaves are ceremonially holy. And according to the, the law that God has given in Exodus and Leviticus, these loaves are only able to be eaten by priests in a holy place. And yet, what happens? The priest gives these loaves to David and his men. David and his men take them and eat them. And Jesus says, why was that acceptable? Why was it that David and his men and the priest can violate the law of God? The letter of the law was violated. Why was that possible? Well, I'm glad you asked. I think there are two reasons the first is that human need outweighs 
human regulation. Human need outweighs the law. David was famished. David and his men were famished. They had a need. And God doesn't disregard the need because God is merciful and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. So meeting human need was more important than the observance of the law. That's, one of, that's the first point that he's making, that human need is more important than religious observance. But I think the second point is even more important. And it's what Jesus said in verse number five. He said, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. See, David was the anointed man of God, a man after God's own heart. He was going to be the future king of Israel. He was going to be the man that God was going to establish a covenant for an everlasting throne. So David is a, is a giant in the eyes of Israel, especially the Pharisees. And because of who David is, it allowed him to reinterpret and reapply the law of God for his situation. Do you understand that? Who David was allowed him to reapply the law of God for his situation. And what Jesus is saying is, somebody greater than David is here. Somebody greater than the high priest is here. And so Jesus, who is the lawgiver, comes and says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. He has the ability to redefine the application of the law, especially for him and for his disciples and for us. Amen? Who Jesus is makes all the difference in the world. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And as the lawgiver himself, he has the right to make the application of the law for human need. By the way, by saying that he is Lord of the Sabbath, it also means that he is Lord over the Sabbath. You understand? Not only is he Lord of the Sabbath, he is Lord over the Sabbath. That means that everything in the Old Testament, every law, every ritual, every ceremony pointed to Jesus. Everything that is in the Old Testament was a shadow of what was to come in Jesus Christ. The Sabbath was a pointer to Jesus. As the writer of Hebrews says, we have a rest in him. Why? Because Jesus came into this world and he went to the cross to die in our place that by his death, burial, and resurrection, those of us who put our faith and trust in him can have rest from our work because there's nothing for us to do. Our salvation has been purchased. All the work has been done. The penalty has been paid. And for all of us who put our trust and faith in him, we can have rest. Friends, we rest today because of what Jesus did on the cross. And that's what we've been singing. That's what we have been singing. That he called my name and I did what? Oh yeah, we ran out of the grave. But maybe you're here today and God's been calling your name and you're still in the grave. Maybe you haven't quite understood what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're still striving. Maybe you're coming to church and you're going to small groups and you're giving and you're trying to check all the boxes, hoping that you will have a resume long enough for God to say, ah, well done, I'm pleased with you. But you know what the truth is? It doesn't please God. It isn't what we do that pleases God. It's what Jesus has already done. And because of what he has done, all he asks you and me to do is to receive him by faith.
And if we accept what he has done, if we accept the penalty he has paid, if we have accepted his work on our behalf, we get to rest in him. That's why Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Praise God that we get to worship him because it's all about him, isn't it? All of this world and all of our life and all of the things we do, we do for him. That's why we sang, my wealth is in the cross. There's nothing more I want than to just to know his love. Right? Why? Because he paid it all. We owe him everything. We owe him our life. We owe him our salvation. We owe him everything. And so we lay our crowns at his feet and we say together with the angels, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We get to worship him. Sabbath is for the worship of the Lord our God. Praise God that God gives us the grace to be able to worship him. The second reason that the Sabbath keeping is important for God's people is that Sabbath is a gift for God's people. Sabbath is a gift for God's people. Notice verse number six. <clears throat> On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with a withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And as he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another, what they might do to Jesus. And so here we have another Sabbath day. <clears throat> and just as a typical Sabbath day for Jesus, he enters the synagogue and he teaches. But on this particular day, there is a man in the crowd who has a withered right hand. For that man, that was a problem. Because in a society that was dominated by physical work, having no right hand meant that he could not sustain himself. His neighbors would look down upon him because he was not able to sustain himself. And so this withered right hand was a problem that made living difficult. Also on this particular day, along with this man with the withered hand, are some Pharisees. Our nosy Pharisees are back and they're in the crowd and they're watching. The Bible says here that they are watching Jesus to see what he will do because they're looking for a reason to accuse him of being a lawbreaker. And so, what a wonderful Petri dish for an experiment. So they have all these thoughts in their heart. And what does the Bible say? Jesus knows their thoughts. He knows what's going on. He knows their intentions. He knows everything that's happening. It's hard to pull one on Jesus, you know what I mean? Like it's not, it's, you're not going to catch him by surprise. And yet they tried. Knowing their thought, he tells the man with a withered hand to come stand in front. So he comes and he stands in front of the synagogue. And Jesus looks around at the synagogue and he says, Is it right to do good on the Sabbath or not? Is it right to save life or not? Now, for you and me, that's kind of like an easy answer, right? It, of course, it's the right thing to do. You know, the Pharisees didn't have a problem with healing. 
The Pharisees didn't have a problem with saving life or doing right. They just wanted it done Sunday through Friday. Like, you want healing? Come back tomorrow. Today? Today's the Sabbath. No healing today. Do you understand the problem? So as far as the Pharisees have it in their minds, as far as their rules are concerned, today is not a day for healing. And so Jesus asks that question and leaves that question lingering in the air as he stares at every single one of the people in the synagogue. In fact, the other gospel writers tell us that Jesus was upset. His his heart was disturbed by the silence because the silence spoke volumes about the hard-heartedness that they had towards the question Jesus asked. And then Jesus does what Jesus does. He tells a man just to stretch out his arm. And no sooner does he stretch out his arm, but his hand is made whole. And that's enough for the Pharisees to be furious. They go out of the synagogue and they plot. In fact, the other writers, Mark chapter 3, tells us that they went out of the synagogue and they plotted how they might kill Jesus. Wait a minute, why would that be such a huge negative reaction? Why would we look to kill somebody who is helping people be made whole? See, as far as the Pharisees was concerned, Jesus was a lawbreaker. He was working on the Sabbath, he was healing on the Sabbath, and as far as their rules and regulations were concerned, he is a Sabbath breaker, and the penalty for breaking the Sabbath is death. And so they went to conspire how they might put Jesus to death. So what's the point Jesus is making? What is the point of this question and this miracle on this Sabbath day in this synagogue? And I think the point is very simple. That the day of of the Sabbath rest is meant to be a blessing and not to be a burden. It's meant to be a gift that refreshes our body and our soul and not a list of do's and don'ts. We like lists so that we can follow the things that we want to do and not do. But Jesus says, the Sabbath day is not for a list. The Sabbath day is intended to be a burden to you. It's meant to be a gift to you that brings revitalization and restoration to our bodies and to our souls. Jesus came to set people free from the law of sin and death. He came to set people free from the burdens that we were carrying around. He came so that we might have liberty and to live in the liberty with which Christ has set us free from. And the Sabbath day is one of those days. He came to give us rest. That is why Sabbath should be seen as a gift for the people of God Because it is not a burden, rather it is something that gives life to the soul. Sabbath is a day that gives life to our soul. And that's the big idea that I want to leave with you today. That the Sabbath gives us the opportunity to worship the giver of life and rest in the life that he gives. The Sabbath day helps us worship the giver of life and rest in the life that he gives. The truth is you and I are not bound by Old Testament law. We are not bound by the Ten Commandments in the sense that we are required or obligated to keep them. But because the Sabbath day transcends the law, because the Sabbath day was initiated at the point of creation, this is a day of rest that we need to weave into our daily 
weeks, our daily lives. And so it's not a matter of why should we. It's a matter of the opportunity that we have to rest. It's an opportunity that we have to rest. So let me ask you this question. How many of you can go a couple of days without sleep? Okay, with with a lot of Mountain Dew probably? (laughs) Energy bowl drinks? Without it, I don't think we are, yeah, exactly. Anybody else? Without the Red Bull? Try a week. We don't do well or go for long that long, do we? Try two weeks. How about four weeks of no sleep? No, our bodies are made to rest. Why do we think our souls are not? If our human bodies need sleep, so does our soul. Our soul needs time to revitalize, to rejuvenate, to regenerate. And just as God made our body to rest, he made our souls to rest. And that's why he has given us the Sabbath. And that's why God tells us to take one day out of seven to rest. And I know we as Americans, we work hard and we strive and we struggle. And it's hard for me to tell you to take one day out of seven to rest. And yet, the truth is, that's how God has made our lives. That's how God has made our lives. But the question that we have to wrestle with when we do rest, or if we rest, is if I stop working and if I stop striving, will God still provide? Will God still meet my needs? You see, the very act of stopping and resting says a lot about our faith. If we take one day out of seven to rest, what it says is that, Lord, I have faith that you will provide. If I rest one day out of seven, what it's saying is, Lord, I depend on you, and I know that in that dependent relationship, you are going to provide for whatever it is I need. That's what Sabbath rest proclaims. It proclaims our faith in the one who loves us. It proclaims our dependence on the one who provides for our every, every need. You see, rest is built into all kinds of things in our life except us. (laughs) Think of music for a moment. Rest is built into music, is it not? If our drummer, Joe, had just taken his his drumsticks and had just wailed on the drums like my three-year-old used to do. Is that music? You're not sure? No, what we usually call it what? Noise. Noise. Rhythm is when you hit and then not hit. That not hit is called what in music? Oh, you know that. Good rhythm requires good rest. Folks, the rhythm of our life requires good rest. And we may not think we need rest because we're young. I used to think I was young, but I was also stupid. Um, <laughs> We cannot really continue to function at efficiency and peak performance if we do not rest. Because God has woven Sabbath rest into the very fabric of creation. So when we work, 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 and then take a vacation during which we still work, and sometimes that's paid work for the office or wherever we work, or work around the house, we work. And then we 
come to the end of our vacation and we get moody and we get sad and we get depressed because, well, our vacation's come to an end and I've got to go back to work again. And then we realize that once we get back to work, we needed a vacation from our, oh, you've been there. Oh, so you understand what I'm feeling. We need a vacation from our vacation because we work so hard. That's not a vacation. That's not a rest. That's a secular rhythm of life. You see, the spiritual rhythm of life is something that God wove together at creation when he took one day out of seven and he ceased and he rested so that he could survey his creation. And he's calling us to do the same. You see, a spiritual rhythm of rest looks something like this. Sabbath rest, work. Sabbath rest, work. Because we don't work to rest. We work from a place of rest. And that makes a huge difference in our lives. In fact, the degree to which I am able to rest is based on my level of trust. The more I trust, the more I rest. And the more I rest, the more I depend on him to provide for my needs. Have you ever been in a car where you're in the passenger seat and you don't quite trust the person that's driving? Like you come to a stop sign and your foot is like automatically, like, like there's no brake there, but your, your leg is moving. And, and like, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. What, why? Because we don't, we don't trust that person. But if you did trust that person, just lean that chair back and go to sleep. You see, that's trust. When you trust your heavenly Father to provide for your needs, you can take one day out of seven and sit back and, and relax and rest. Because it's not that we have to. And we, our life is full of have-tos. I have to pay the bills. I have to do the laundry. I have to do this. I have to do that. Our list of have-tos is endless. It never ends. But the Sabbath rest is not a have to. It's a privilege. It's a day where we get to. Not have to, but get to. It's a day we get to worship God together. It's a day where we get to contemplate Him. It's a day where we get to sing His praises. It's a day to rest. Perhaps go out to eat. Perhaps sleep in a little. Perhaps take a nap. Take two naps. It's okay. Whatever we get to do, Whatever brings refreshing and revitalization to our souls, that's what a Sabbath is. So it's not a list of things I can give you to do because what brings me rest may not bring you rest. And what brings you refreshing may not bring me refreshing. But do the things in your life that you get to do that brings you joy and rest and peace. But there are some principles that we can apply. You see, Sabbath is about stopping. It's about pausing. It's about resting. Stop striving and start doing the things that we get to do. Delight in the creation of God. Delight as the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim his handiwork. Delight yourself in God's creation. Perhaps you have some flowers around your house. Maybe stop and smell those. Remember, stop and smell the, oh yeah, you've heard that. Have, when's the last time you smelled any rose? Contemplate the goodness of God and his love for you. 
that Sabbath rest. And we today, we have come together here as part of Sabbath rest. I'm not resting, I'm working. <laughs> My Sabbath rest looks different. Brent and the worship team's Sabbath looks different. But for all of you who are not serving, this is Sabbath. It's where we come together to lift up our voices to sing to Him, to call on Him, to praise Him, the giver of life, so that we might enjoy the life that only He can give. Amen? Amen. That's Sabbath rest. The worship team is going to come, and they're going to lead us in a song. And that song says, more like Jesus. Jesus Sabbath, did He not? He took Sabbath rest. He knew how to rest. And in the cross of Jesus Christ, we have rest. I pray that you today will worship him, the giver of life, so that in giving him praise and lifting up of our voices to sing to him, we might experience the life that only he can give. Would you stand with me? Perhaps you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. May I encourage you to come to know him that all of our striving and all of our work and all of our effort in front of an almighty holy God is pretty much useless. It is useless. All that's required is for us to bow the knee and say, Lord, I accept you as my personal Savior. Would you forgive me for all the things I've done? And I accept you and the work that you have done on the cross on my behalf. And the Bible says the moment you do and you accept him into your heart, you will be saved. If that's you today, I would love to introduce Jesus to you. Pastor Vince is here. He would love to introduce Jesus to you. Please don't leave. Don't, please don't rush. It's a day of rest. Take the time. Take the time to think about the greatness of our God and how we might be found more like Jesus. Father, thank you. <clears throat> thank you for Jesus who paid it all. Though my sins were as dark and as horrible as scarlet, your blood washes me white as snow. Lord, it's not because I deserved it. In fact, I'm the last person who deserved it. You poured out your amazing grace to a wretch like me, to like us. <coughs> who are we that you would set your sovereign love upon us? And that you would save us. That you would redeem us. And that you would set us free to worship you, to enjoy you, to live your life in and through us. And Lord, as we do that, would you continue to remind us that we need Sabbath rest, that you have provided that to us and that as we trust you more, we get to rest in you more. And as we take those moments to refresh and to rejuvenate our lives, would you just take pleasure even in that? And may our lives bring you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.